In the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, God says, my ways are not your ways. And we read that and we nod and we say, okay, yeah, I get that. Actually, we don't. I don't think we really get it. I don't think we really understand all that that means. Because what we really try and do so often is we try to fit God into our understanding of the way that we think things should work. And if we're really honest, many times what we really want is for God's ways to be our ways. Yet the life of faith is all about discovering and following the ways of God. The life of faith is all about choosing to follow Him when we'd rather go our own way. It's about trusting Him even when His ways are hard. And when we make the choice to follow the ways of God, what we find is that hardship often leads to blessing. We'd rather avoid hardship. But sometimes it is the way of God. And that's what we see in our Bible passage this morning. This Christmas story affects so many people, but it really centers on the life of a young woman named Mary. And at the time that we're going to look at here in our, our, our passage, she is very near the end of her pregnancy. And then she discovers that she and Joseph, her husband, must make a long and demanding journey for the purpose of tax enrollment. They have to travel to comply with a government edict. And this is a huge, poorly timed, inconvenient interruption. It's hard. And after they make their trip and arrive in their destination, they're far from home, they're alone, they're tired, and they are unable to find suitable lodging. It would be so easy in that moment for them to wonder what God is up to. It would be so easy to ask, is this really part of God's plan? Is it possible to experience blessing in the midst of the hardships we're experiencing? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes because God's ways are not our ways. And what Mary and Joseph learn is that so often the hardships of life are a pathway that leads to God's great blessings. Let's take a look and see how this plays out in their lives in Luke chapter 2 verses 1 to 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went up to their own town to register. So this part of the story of the very first Christmas begins with this edict from Caesar, and it's an edict that creates difficulties for everyone in the Roman Empire. This demand for a census is a huge interruption because the way it's conducted forces people out of the natural rhythm of their lives. Now, the purpose of a Roman census was completely different than an American census. Our government takes a census to verify where we live, to set boundaries for legislative districts. The Roman government wanted to verify what property you owned and where so they could tax you for it. 
and therefore you had to register in the town or towns where you owned real estate. So at the very least, this required a visit to your local government office where you had to fill out some forms. What fun. But in many cases, it meant people had to undertake a difficult and expensive journey. They had to go to a different town to register. And so in response to Caesar's command, there are people all over the Roman Empire who temporarily must leave behind their family, must leave behind their friends. They have to take time away from work to comply with this government decree. It's annoying. It's irritating. It's hugely inconvenient. Yet this interruption is so much more than it seems because it sets into motion a series of events with significant spiritual consequences. As we will see, the the overriding purpose of this entire event is to ensure that Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Now, why would that be so important? It's important because in the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, there's a prophecy which says that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. But Joseph and Mary are in Nazareth. So somehow God needs to get them from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And this census is the way that he does does this. And I find it absolutely fascinating because God obviously could have gotten them from point A to point B in a whole variety of other ways. Here's just one example that occurs to me. Joseph and Mary already have been visited by angels. They've shown that they're willing to believe what angels tell them and do what they're told to do. So God could have sent another angel to Joseph and Mary with a very simple message. Go to Bethlehem. I'll bet they would have gone. And that way, only their lives would have been interrupted. And it would have been much easier for everyone. Now, if it was up to me, that's how I would have done it. Why didn't God do it that simple way? Well, because God's ways are not our ways. And based on the actions God did take, I think we're forced to one logical conclusion. He wanted everyone in the Roman Empire to be unsettled and interrupted at this point in time. And as I wrestle with the implications of that, I've racked my brain to discover some reasons why God did it that way. And I think I've come up with a few. First, by doing this, God reveals who's really in charge. The great Caesar Augustus. He thinks he's calling the shots. But actually, he's just carrying out the will of Almighty God. He thinks I'm getting people registered so I can tax them. But no, God is getting Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. See, I think this story reveals that God is the one in control and that he often is working out his purposes in the midst of very human events. And second, I believe God's actions promote humility within us. You see, because of what God does, he's telling us that sometimes he is going to inconvenience many people in order to do something with just a few people. 
And the reality is that most people in the Roman Empire were not directly affected by the behavior of Joseph and Mary. It didn't matter to them in the short term whether they were in Nazareth or Bethlehem. And yet they are swept along by all that is taking place. I see this as a reminder that sometimes we are caught up in the sweep of larger events. And the fact is, that happens because the world does not revolve around me and the world doesn't revolve around you. It promotes some humility. And third, I believe God's actions here demonstrate his priorities. He's telling us here that he may use interruptions to draw attention to what he considers to be the, of utmost importance. And in this case, interrupting the lives of people in the Roman Empire pales in significance to the birth of Jesus. What could be more important to human history and to the eternal destiny of humanity than to have God come to earth in human form? That matters more than anything at this very moment. So God engineers this huge, holy interruption and everybody is inconvenienced. And Joseph and Mary, a couple of great faith, have to endure a hard and uncomfortable journey. As we read about next, verse 4. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. So, so Joseph is just one of thousands of people who, whose life is interrupted by Caesar's decree. And yet he and Mary and Jesus are the central focus of this event. Joseph evidently is linked in some way to some kind of family property there in Bethlehem, so he has to make the trip there to put his name on the tax register. And as he contemplates that trip, he faces a dilemma because Mary is very close to the end of her pregnancy. He knows that a journey won't be comfortable or easy for her, but neither does he want to leave her behind because she might give birth while he's gone. And he wouldn't want her to bring her firstborn son into the world all alone. And so Mary goes with him. And the two of them head off to Bethlehem to fulfill their obligations to Rome and most importantly to fulfill the purposes of God. And here's the story behind the story. That journey would be about 80 to 100 miles and it would take several days. And it would be hard. So, a way to understand what they face, let's think about the way we travel today and some of the hardships and inconveniences we face. If you travel by air, the inconvenience might be a crowded airport, a long line getting through the TSA checkpoint, maybe a delayed flight. If we travel by car, it might be congestion on the road or bad weather or perhaps even a mechanical breakdown. Joseph and Mary's trip is so very, very different than ours. Joseph probably walked the entire way. He probably was leading a donkey with Mary riding on the donkey. 
And they would travel very slowly with many stops along the way because of Mary's pregnancy. It's a trip that is hard. It's uncomfortable. It would be tedious and tiring to both of them. Many years ago, I had an older woman in the church come up to me and she said, whenever I'm feeling sorry for myself, I read this passage. And then I pray and say, thank you, Lord, that I never had to travel 100 miles on the back of a donkey when I was nine months pregnant. She said, it helps me put my own life and my own problems in perspective. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that because our inconveniences are nothing like the ones faced by Joseph and Mary. And yet God has different plans for each of us. And this particular hard journey was part of his plan for Joseph and Mary in this particular season of their lives, which means God had purpose in these interruptions and in these hardships. And whenever we undergo such experiences, we face a choice. We can resist God and ignore his way. We can complain or we can hold firmly on to God and let him carry us through the hard journeys of life. What do you do when God interrupts your life? How do you and I respond to the hard situations that come our way? Do we try and do things our way? Or do we embrace God's way? Mary and Joseph make the hard, uncomfortable journey to Bethlehem. And what makes this trip even more difficult is that when they arrive, their problems are not over. They simply trade one set of difficulties for another, as we see at the end of verse 7. When they arrived, it says there was no guest room available for them. Think about the implications of that. We've all had tiring trips where all we could think about was getting to our destination, finally getting to a place where we could stop traveling, put our feet up, maybe have a bite, and just rest. And yet when Mary and Joseph reach Bethlehem, they discover that all of the accommodations in this little village are taken. And after the trip they've had, this would be heartbreaking. And they would be weary, but their journey is not yet over because they have no place to stay. Now, I find a lot of people are confused about what the actual lodging situation was there in Bethlehem and how it got resolved. At this particular time in history, small villages like Bethlehem typically only had one small inn, and it had very few inside rooms. Most of the lodging would be outdoors in a courtyard. There'd be this courtyard with a series of stalls where you could, in a sense, camp out and stay there, and it would be you and your animals together. Now, normally there'd be plenty of space, but the population of this little village has temporarily exploded as other people also travel to Bethlehem to fulfill the government requirement. And so when Mary and Joseph arrive, they find that all of the indoor rooms are taken in the end, all of these outdoor courtyard stalls also are taken. So what do they do? They have to search for lodging, and they most likely go door to door seeing if someone will rent them a guest room. 
and at a time like this, locals would be very willing to rent out a guest room as a way to make some extra cash. But guest rooms are scarce because so many people are in the same situation. So I, I try to imagine the sense of frustration and despair that this couple must feel as they face their very limited options and as each option turns out to be a dead end. I'm sure that Joseph wants nothing more than a place of shelter for his wife. And Mary wants nothing more than to get off that donkey and put her feet up and rest and prepare to give birth to God's son. We don't know how long they search, but eventually they find shelter in some kind of stable. It might be a small wooden structure out in a pasture. It might even be a small cave. But it's a place of shelter. It's warm. It's dry. And inside that stable, they find an unused feeding trough, and they realize they can use that as a cradle when their son is born. And so finally, having found this place, their journey is at an end. And despite the huge interruption to their lives, despite the hard and uncomfortable journey, despite the heartbreaking arrival, God has provided for their needs. This was His way. And the Heavenly Father has ensured that they have a place of shelter where Mary can safely deliver her baby. And then the event for which they've been waiting comes to pass. The promised Son of God arrives as Luke records for us in the first part of verses 6 to 7. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. You know, I try to picture that scene, and, and I suspect that Joseph and Mary felt very much alone at that moment. They're in a strange place in less than desirable quarters, giving birth to a child. And yet, I try and picture that moment when Joseph, helping Mary deliver Jesus, takes the baby, places the baby in Mary's arms, and I suspect at that moment, all of the pain and heartache faded away. All thoughts of the difficulties they had endured faded away. It all dropped away because there's nothing like the arrival of a new child to bring joy and satisfaction to the heart of a mother and father, particularly a mother. This is a heartwarming moment and it makes everything else worthwhile. I've seen that. My wife had three very difficult pregnancies. And we love our kids, but they caused her a lot of grief coming into the world. Her pregnancies were rough and the deliveries were rough. And yet each time, at that final moment, when I was able to take our child, newly born, walk over and place our child in Julie's arms, everything faded in, in, into insignificance. Nothing mattered but the joy of that new child. You know, Jesus himself actually even spoke about this in John chapter 16, verse 21. He says, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. 
I think that's true for just about every mother. And I think it must be particularly true for Mary. And I think her joy would be different and it would be deeper because she knows that this baby is the direct result of a God-orchestrated miracle. She's never been intimate with a man and yet here is her firstborn son. Jesus, the Son of God, who is coming to bring salvation to the world. Just as the angel promised, God's word is coming true. The arrival of this child is a tremendous blessing. And it's a blessing that Joseph and Mary receive because they willingly have embraced a whole series of interruptions. They've accepted God's way rather than following their way. None of this has been easy. And yet they've learned that the hardships have been the pathway to a great, great blessing. So let's step back for a minute and consider what this story can teach us about the nature and character of God. For one thing, I believe this story shows God modeling incredible humility toward his creation. God chooses to show up as a helpless baby born to poor parents who have to use an animal trough as a cradle. That's amazing to me. The creator of mankind is coming into this world in totally humble circumstances and making himself completely dependent upon human beings. I, I think that's actually astounding. I think there's a deeper lesson here, a lesson that tells us God sees great value in the interruptions of life. Interruptions are hardships that can teach us and lead us to blessing. Hardships and interruptions don't just come along to irritate us and tick us off. They so often are moments that God uses. You may recall our recent series of messages about the fatherhood of God. And in that series, we took a look at the book of Hebrews chapter 12. And we learned that hardship is often used by God to discipline us. Hardship is a way for the Heavenly Father to mold our character and deepen our trust. Hardship helps you and me learn how to be disciples who can follow the ways of God rather than our own ways. And as I think about that biblical principle and I think about Joseph and Mary, it seems to me that all of the hardships and interruptions they faced must have had a profound effect on their lives and on their faith. And their experience is not just some abstract biblical story because all of us at times face hardship. All of us face interruptions that can fill us with distress and anxiety. And the real question when we're interrupted is how do we respond? What do you and I do with the interruptions of life? As a young man, I learned about the value of God's interruptions from my father-in-law and mother-in-law. And I, I can't get through this story dry-eyed. <laughs> they were godly people 
and they became parents to me. And so I called them mom and dad. Mom and dad met while they were attending medical school in Chicago. Dad was training to be a physician. Mom was training to be a nurse. They both came from incredibly poor families, so getting through med school was not easy. And they worked a variety of jobs to pay their way. But they met, they fell in love, and in dad's last year of school, they got married. And a few months later, mom became pregnant with their first child. And after graduation, dad was offered his first job. He was hired to be a physician in a medical clinic in Virginia. And so they used up most of their meager savings to make a deposit at a boarding house where they could stay, and then to buy two tickets so they could travel by Greyhound bus from Chicago to Virginia. It was wintertime, and the roads were icy, and there were numerous weather-related delays, so they got into town way behind schedule. Mom was six or seven months pregnant, so it was not an easy journey for her. And they arrived late on a Friday evening, and they walked slowly across town to the address that they had for this boarding house where they'd made a deposit. And they were exhausted and wanted nothing more than to get a bite and to put their feet up and rest. And yet when they got to the address, they discovered that they had been deceived. Because it wasn't a boarding house, it was a house of prostitution. This unscrupulous owner had taken their money under false pretenses and he refused to return it. So there wasn't any room for them. But even if there had been a room, it wasn't a safe place to stay. So mom and dad walked outside, sat down on the curb in the snow. Mom began to cry. What could they do? They had no money, they had no food, they were in a strange city where they didn't know anyone except the contact at the medical clinic where dad was supposed to report Monday morning, but they had no idea how to get a hold of anyone at the clinic late on a Friday night. All of their plans had been abruptly interrupted and there was no backup plan. And as dad sat there feeling some despair, he told me later, I wondered if this might be how Joseph and Mary felt. With nothing else to do, he said, I just bowed and I prayed. And I prayed for God's guidance. And while he was praying, while he was praying, there was a tap on his shoulder and he turned and looked up and there was a man and woman standing there. It was a husband and wife who were on their way home from a soup kitchen a soup kitchen where they served as part of the outreach ministry of their church. And they were running late that night. They normally passed that spot a little earlier, and if they had come even five minutes earlier, they never would have seen my in-laws. It was a divine appointment. So that couple listened to mom and dad's story and then said, come with us. So mom and dad walked off with two complete strangers who took them home, gave them a hot meal, and opened up a guest room for them. The next day, they introduced them to a man who owned a very small furnished apartment. And he was willing to rent it to them without any deposit. He said, just pay me when you get your first paycheck. 
And on Sunday morning, that couple took mom and dad to church. In the afternoon, they helped them move into the little apartment. And they stocked the fridge and the pantry with groceries. God had dramatically intervened in their lives to meet their needs. They had such a hard and difficult journey to that new town and their, and their arrival was heartbreaking, but it was offset by this incredible blessing provided by some members of God's family. But here's the point. It's a blessing they would not have experienced without the hard interruption. And that interruption was not something that they wanted. It's not something they asked for, but it's obviously something God thought that they needed. And that interruption and the blessing that followed deepened their faith. And it sustained them throughout their lives as they experienced other heartbreaking interruptions. They learned that following the way of God can be hard. But hardship often leads to great blessing. I first heard that story when I was dating Julie. And my father-in-law shared that story with me, and then he looked me in the eye and he said, Bruce, no matter how you may feel, no matter how much you might be filled with despair, God will meet your needs. His ways are not our ways. So never, never underestimate the power of our God.